Malcolm Lynch has some stories to tell. As a managing partner of C.C. Lynch, an environmental sales and service agency his father started more than 50 years ago, and he's run for the last 30, he's seen the water monitoring industry in the southeastern United States evolve over decades. His Mississippi-based company works closely with the USGS, the Army Corps of Engineers, city and state agencies, and private industry, not only providing these customers with the latest water monitoring instrumentation and software, but also working with them in the field to make sure they get the best performance from their installations. For many years, C.C. Lynch has also been a valued partner to in situ, working with us on new product development and representing our products for environmental and wastewater monitoring. Few in the profession have his breadth of experience and his familiarity with the path that has led the industry to where it is today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Aquapod, where we share water monitoring stories from the field. I'm Helen Taylor with in situ. And I'm Eric Robinson, in situ's application development manager for surface water. And today we're really looking forward to a conversation with Malcolm Lynch, vice president of CC Lynch, a sales and service agency specializing in water monitoring devices and services located in past Christiane, Mississippi. In situ started working with CC Lynch three decades ago. We've had a long, fruitful relationship, so we did want to sit down with him and talk about his years in the industry and all that he's seen. So, Malcolm, welcome. Thank you. Well, let's start back at the beginning. Maybe you can tell us just a little bit about the company and the history of this storied family business. Well, back starting before the Clean Water Act, there weren't that many industrial or wastewater accounts to call on. The folks we called on was mostly the research entities, your USGS, your Corps of Engineers. I'm not even sure if some of these were around back then. TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority, um, and universities were basically our only market. Um, 72, the Clean Water Act came on, and we started going towards more water, wastewater uh, oriented operations, but that took a while before it really came up. So we were still very heavily uh, invested in calling on the the research entities. Uh, So very early on, we were always involved with monitoring water in rivers and streams with with USGS, Corps of Engineers, and folks like that. Um, As the company grew and we started to attract other lines, and we kind of came a typical rep firm where we had a line card that was 20, 30 product lines and and doing a, what we refer to as the typical representative thing where you're chasing the bid day. And uh, about the time that we bought the company in the late 90s from from my parents, uh, in the first year, we decided we, we didn't want to have anything to do with chasing bid day and and representing so many product lines. So in that first year, we decided if they didn't, the product didn't have something to do with measuring the quantity or quality of water, uh, we weren't going to represent it. And so that very first year, we dropped probably a couple of dozen lines that really didn't have anything to do with the focus we wanted. And we went back to calling on the watershed. If it discharged to the environment or took water from the environment, that was where we were going to focus. So we um, a lot of your NPDES permits industrially discharge to the environment. They measure their intake water for process water. They also measure their groundwater. Um I mean, back in this in the uh, early '80s, I remember putting groundwater pumps in, in hundreds and hundreds of wells for sampling purposes. So we we're, were in the watershed, and uh, therefore we're calling on the industrial water wastewater 
and then also got back to focusing on universities, research, USGS, Corps of Engineers, uh, anyone doing monitoring in the water space, along with their state equivalent. You know, your fish and wildlife have local state parks and wildlife, and your your EPA offices have local DEQ offices. And so that's that's been our focus for the last 30 years, I would say. So, Malcolm, your your father started the company, is that right? That's correct. And when you were growing up, did you get to interact with the company at all and oh, yeah. see what he oh, was yeah. doing? My 10th grade science project was one of the first voice automated uh, auto dialers, voice synthesized auto dialers. Oh, right. And I had to figure out how to program it. And it wasn't easy at all. It was kind of like programming logic for a 10th grader. And uh, I got it to recognize temperature and auto dial out when whenever it hits certain thresholds. And so I got a C because I use some instrumentation <laughs> for my dad's company. I was like, God, great. You're kidding me. A C. You don't know how much work it took to make that damn thing work. <laughs> <laughs> I was so, so proud. I got to drive the car to school that day because I was taking the instrument and a C. <laughs> So you've been involved with this since since you were a kid. For many of us, um, the understanding of what we try to accomplish in the industry comes on pretty late. It's something that you're driven towards maybe when you're in college or when you get out and you're, you're looking for what it is you're going to do. But because you were involved with it at such a, an early age, did you did you know that this is the path you wanted to? to well, follow? yeah. I mean, my dad got cancer when I was in the 11th grade and he made me skip my senior year and go to college. And uh you know, I missed my senior year because I was had to hurry up and get out and hit the road. So we did a few years of college and then, you know, I got, I got my uh, degree in summer school basically. Um, but yeah, I, I knew where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. And is because you've been able to be around this for so many years, um, you probably more than, than most people have been able to see, the industry change, not just from the products that are brought out, but from what it is people are trying to do. Um, what do you think are, are the big changes that you've seen over the years, you know, from when you were a child even to, to what you see today? Well, when I first started selling multiprobes, the, the state agencies weren't using multiprobes. They were using individual meters. And uh, that, that was a big change. The, Louisiana was the only one actually playing with a multi-parameter instrument when we started knocking on the door with multi-probes. Yeah. So, so with that, do you think, you know, the use and expansion into different parts of the markets probably changed quite a bit too? You know, I know that you said when, when your father got into the business, he was really focusing on some of the research sides of, of what's done before the, the Clean Water Act and, and some of those things came along. So where do you see that big shift coming in expectation? I think that we're going to be able to do more parameters with smaller devices for yeah. less money. Um, the less money certainly has come into play. I mean, when we first started, the uh, a fully loaded logging data saw on one was, what, $17,000, $18,000 for four parameters. Um, so it's, what, half the cost now? Do you think so, that's made it more accessible so you see more instruments out in the field? Oh, yeah. The cost, the, the cost structure has made it possible for smaller organizations to to buy these multi probes versus just being a, a 
you know, EPA or USGS go out and buy these things. But if we look at the cost of the Aquatrol 500, it really is not a barrier to getting into the multi-parameter and even the 400, Aquatrol 400 and the price point on that. I'm yeah. curious to know a little bit more about how you work with your customers. How large is your customer base and, and how do you partner with them? How do you work with them? We're a very hands-on type organization. For instance, we're doing a, a project right now with USDA and Auburn at Auburn University, and uh, they just received the shipment. We've got our people there helping them unbox the equipment and discovering things that are missing uh, on, a, on a huge project. Uh, we're very, very much hand-holding. Um, not, we're we're field-oriented. This last year has been very frustrating because... Uh, we're very much in tune with going to the field with the instrumentation uh, and applying expertise uh, in certain arenas where um, we're called in as an authority, if you will, for potential. As an example, for flow monitoring, we do certifications for flows all over the place uh, from the Mississippi River to, you know, we did the New Orleans Sewerage and Water Board, uh, their levy pumping system that drank, pumps out the city city of New Orleans. We did that project, a million-dollar project, a couple of years ago. Um, so we're very field-oriented with service capabilities. So if somebody needs it installed, uh, we do have people mobilized, go out and do the actual installation, or if they need the data collected, we can do that as well. Um, or if they just need a third-party certification, like a lot of the industries we work in, uh, something has to be calibrated, they need a periodic certification of a calibration by third party to meet permit purposes. And we do quite a bit of work associated with that, which uh, gets us into plants on a daily basis, doing uh, maintenance and calibrations on instruments. We do uh, some plants and in big industrial plants in Louisiana, they don't touch their environmental instrumentation. Our guys come in once a week, calibrating, maintaining it. So it's a big part of our business, the service side. So it gets a lot of hands-on experience with the equipment. So Malcolm, you guys get to do a lot of work with a lot of different clients. When you go back and you think about the projects you've been involved with that you really enjoyed, are there any that stand out, things to you that you you wish you could do again or or at least enjoyed enough at the time that, that it stands out to you? There have been several surveys back in the day with the USGS or the Louisiana DEQ uh, where they would, they would, back when it was a different world, they would have a really good time. They would bring their barbecue grills. We would eat very well. Um, and it was always a, a great uh, moment of camaraderie. Everybody's working towards a common task and then getting together after hours and, you know, literally in the field all the time with them. Those were always pretty cool moments. I did a few surveys with the USGS where out making measurements for, for the entire day, basically for, for different applications. And those are, those, that's always, always good. Uh, been a few yeah. projects that we, uh, I remember father's day back in 93 or so, there was a barge that had spilled acid a shipment of powder had come in for some industry over in Purlington, Mississippi. And uh, the 
shipment was rejected. So they just parked the barge there and eventually it ate through the hole of the barge. And literally the EQ called us and we responded that day that we're putting these sawns out in the bayous and you can, you know, and in our bayous, you can't see six inches into the water because of the tannin of the water. You can see straight to the bottom of the bayou. It was clear as a bell. The people were out uh, skiing and, and swimming with their kids and their kids were pink as the day. It just so pink. And I was like, you need to get your children out of the water. That pH is like three. <laughs> So, no, it's great. You can see all the way to the bottom. <laughs> totally blown away by it. It's like, your kids are pink. That's not sunshine. It's There's no sun. It's overcast. They're not getting a sunburn. They are burning from the pH acid. That moment, I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> yeah. And But what's the ramification of a spill like that? I mean, the role you play in, in being able to determine what actually is going on sounds pretty critical. Yeah, we were basically, it was a data delivery contract to the uh, spill contractor. And we basically went out once a day, downloaded the songs and, and delivered them a report from so many square miles of Bayou. So they were measuring how far it went. And we probably had 10 locations. I forget how spread out they were. It was the 90s after all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool project. Um I can remember when we instrumented the EPA uh, up in Athens, their sediment oxygen demand chambers. That was a pretty cool project. Uh, um, Athens being a big research group, they were uh, always involved in projects. And so we would meet up with them and and support them on equipment needs. Uh, So there were several projects with them over the years that were pretty interesting. So you've really been able to get out and do a lot of different work with a lot of different groups, as opposed to getting kind of silent and just doing survey work or, or just academic work. So Right, or just calling on that one wastewater market. That was the big thing that yeah. we've, we've really, um, back when we were, we were representing 20, 30 product lines, we were really focused more just in that space. And uh, when we got away from that, we, were, we got back out into the watershed and that's when we started to get back into, you know, at a different opportunity every time. You're doing groundwater one day, you're doing an effluent, you're doing an intake at a plant, uh, you know, just so much different from day to day. It's it's always makes for interesting work. Have you seen attitudes shift toward environmental protection, environmental regulation in, in your time in the business? You know, I, I don't, I don't know if, if, if it really has yet. Um, you know, the Clean Water Act of 72 was, was supposed to be a watershed approach where the people in that watershed were actually a part of, uh, of, the, of the solution, I guess. Um, unfortunately, we always just appear, appear to be more a part of the problem. You know, every time it rains here on the, on, you know, not just Mississippi Gulf Coast, but every, every city, the, the sewers flow freely right into the creeks. And, you know, when I grew up on the Gulf Coast, you get cut along on your leg and you go swimming in the Gulf of Water, Mexico, and that cut would get healed. Now you're going out there and you've got the Vibrio virus, which feeds on fecal, and we don't do anything about that. It just drives me nuts. Um, so, that no, I don't think the attitudes are changing. Hmm. Um you look at the Florida coastline 
and and all the algae blooms are getting every year. That's all coming from the sewers overflowing. If the attitudes were changing, we wouldn't have our sewers flowing over over into the into the environment. It's just a it's a cause and effect. And no, no, it's not changed. That must be frustrating. <laughs> well, it is frustrating. I mean, I'm doing a demonstration for the city of Gulfport neighboring town on a flow meter and I put it in and it's reading 20 gallons per minute. I just calibrated that unit not 20 minutes away at my office. I knew it was right. And I knew the readings were right. I'm looking at the flow. I can see it's trickle of water flowing through there. It's 20 gallons per minute. And the guy says, oh, your meter's wrong. Your meter's wrong. So I said, well, I'm telling you, my meter's right. So but let me go back to the office. I'll get another meter. And so I drove back to the office, came back an hour later. We put the meter in. It's 20 gallons per minute. And the guy goes, you see, I told you that meter was wrong. I said, man, you just don't, you don't get it. Nothing's changed. It's the same flow. Two meters aren't going to be wrong like that. I don't believe it. And says, so, well, it's supposed to rain tonight. Let me, let, let's see what happens. And so it rained. We came back out the next day, popped the lid, pulled the meter out, downloaded it. And uh, flatline 20 gallons per minute. He goes, ah, you see there? I told you that daggum thing didn't work. And I said, dude, do you ever think that you might have a leak somewhere? And it's like a light bulb went, ding. <laughs> And he called me later. He says, yeah, I walked that line up and not 200 yards, the very first creek we came to, uh, the top half of the pipe was totally broken off. So there was only two inches of pipe connecting 20 gallons per minute. So everything else wow. was flowing in the creek. He, he knew there was a problem with this lift station because the pump rates were not right. He knew something was wrong, but he didn't believe it. And then when I, when it was like, oh, Eureka, you know, hey, can't you see this is a great tool? He says, oh, they'll never let me buy the, that, give me the money for that. And about a year later, he called me and he bought the instrument, and but he didn't buy the software or the comm cable to connect to it. So he had no way to operate it. And he said that, he called me like 30 days later. He says, can you come download that instrument? He says, yeah, but you got to buy the software and the cable and get a laptop. I mean, I can't do this for you every <laughs> so that meter, I guarantee, is still sitting on a shelf there in Gulfport. It's just, yeah, education a big factor hmm? in uh, in a big part of what you do. It sounds like it is, and we're very engaged on on the education front. We we've done back before COVID. We we did a, a in situ training for USGS and Tuscaloosa up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, and we do training courses like that all the time. Just had one recently with the Corps of Engineers. Uh, we did an outdoor training for COVID and uh, went over really well. Yeah, the training course is always great because not only do users in many cases learn something new, but I know that I always pick up something new when when I'm doing them. Um, I, I've That's been, when I we first met you. Yeah, it is. You were at that. It is. Um, actually, that's not true. Where I first met you was at a USGS meeting in in Washington. Oh, State. yeah, Tacoma. And you walked across, you were walking across the building and you got about halfway across the building and you started telling me about what we needed to do and change. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> it's just, just, you guys need to change this and you guys need to change that. I said, okay, all right. Still <laughs> need to. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, Malcolm, let's talk a little bit about the relationship that you've had with USGS over the years. What's been your big takeaway as far as what it is USGS is doing now that they weren't when you started working with them? I don't think it's so much that they're doing now that they weren't doing. I think the unique thing about the USGS is they're still doing what they were doing 30 years ago, the way they were doing it 30 years ago. Their training has certainly gotten better. I mean, their technicians are certainly well-trained and and high-level get-things-done type of guys, but they all, a lot of them seem to have the farmer mentality that they, you know, whatever, again, the the WE title applies with those guys because it's whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, so I don't know that they've they've changed so much, but their ability to maintain their quality versus other organizations that have a very high turnover rate and it's a different person every time you go there or every other time or he's not there very long. But with the USGS, you're calling on, you know, some of the folks I've called on with the USGS. I mean, my first sales call was 1986 at the HIF. And uh, literally, I walked in selling a groundwater sample pump, and they announced the, the ISCO representative was there, and the entire room came to the cafeteria for my first sales call. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of those people are, you know, Janice Fulford was there. She's, you know, um, many of them that were in that room have retired, but, uh, you know, they retired in the same position. They didn't move on to other jobs and they, they stayed within the organization and, and advanced up. That's a, a very good feature that the USGS has, and I hope they can hold on to. As you've been able to work with them for so long, have they had projects you've been kind of involved with that you really enjoyed at the time or things that, that you got to take part in that were really kind of impactful for you in your career? Um. Well, there was, the, you know, the, we, we measured the 2011 flood, you know, not many people can say they've measured 2.2 million cubic feet per second. I've been there and done that. Um, you know, when they got there and looked at the boat, I'm like, dude, ain't you got a bigger boat? <laughs> so that was, that was a project with the Corps of Engineers. Um, we did with the USDA, uh, one of the first watershed monitoring projects with them back in 2012, um, and we put 9,500s on, on that. And so they're usually mostly interested in sampling sediment and flow, but then they started branching out and not doing end of plot and doing more of a watershed approach monitoring. And that's that project's been going on since 2012 um, and still ongoing. Uh, those That was a pretty interesting project because put, just putting things out in the Delta watershed and some challenging applications. The New Orleans Sewage and Water Board, I mean, validating the flows on, on 102 pumping stations where we're measuring canal flows and, and lines that are 100 inch across, or that was a pretty challenging project. Um, did, uh, did you wind up being involved at all with them and the work they did before, during, or after Hurricane Katrina? I know that's one of those events that really stands out. They had put in some flow meters on on the London Avenue pump station that were transit time flow meters that didn't have proper uh, approaches for, for that type of technology to work. And we went in and validated the, the flows uh, with 
engineering research development center. They came in with pitot tubes and we came in with Dopplers and validated the flows were, were off by 20%. Um, they were under reporting the flows, which was very important to the contractor that was trying to validate everything. Um, that, that was a Katrina project we also put in. Uh, <laughs> we put in level trolls all around um, for the Corps of Engineers. A contractor purchased them and put in the cables, but didn't connect the probes to them. So the tide sat there and came up and down on like 60 probe cables. And when they installed the probes and nothing worked, they were start trying to figure out what was wrong. So figured out that you're not supposed to leave an uncapped cable in the water with a vent tube. <laughs> that's, that's one of those mistakes you tend to make one time. <laughs> so as we kind of transition a little bit here, Malcolm, let's talk about some of the things that, that have worked and have been challenging over the years for you. Um, in some ways, I think one of the questions a lot of people have is how the relationship between manufacturers and distributors has changed. Has that kind of overall been something that's been a struggle for you or has it been you know, something that, that you've been able to change with over time and, and prepare for? I think if the customer is aware of your motivation and if the sales channel is aware of the motivation and that's to take care of the customer, I mean, we've not made friends in, in the past with, with pH probes that broke on all 10 probes when you pulled them out of the box or a conductivity probe that um, started failing just outside of the warranty and they, there's 50 of them that have to be replaced. They don't think very highly of you when you come down on the side of the customer forcing them to replace all those probes. If they were to look past what we were saying and why we were saying it, they would realize that you know, they're going to get millions of dollars from that account, and they have, um, because they st stood behind the product. And that's one area that, that I I'm giving you guys very high praise on. We've had some problems, but in every case thus far, you guys have stood behind it. You've not tried to hide it. You've implemented corrective measures I mean which which you've done on some of the some of the things I mean things way past warranty and if it's failing for a particular reason that we know about you're covering it under warranty and other companies do not do that um, so that's 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 kudos to you guys um, and let me just kind of point out we don't really consider ourselves a, a, a distributor yeah a distributor is not so much a partner Distributor's not going to come in and, and sit down and, and help develop a new product or participate in beta and, and interact. We're, we're, we're more of a representative. And not that distributor's the bad word, but I think we have a little bit better relationship. Than you're, and you're, so you're really partnering with the manufacturers on different levels. Right. I mean, yeah. you guys get a very high uh, amount of our time and, and resources, we're actively trying to grow your product line. Um, and we might spend a little bit more time on your line versus other lines because it's, it's of interest. And I, I'm curious really about that. You know, if you see that, um, if you're, 
motivation to do that is is directly tied to the value you see for your customer and and, and the need for the innovation in the marketplace. Yes, uh, we we are motivated by by the marketplace uh, and the customer's need for for a better product. Because you're the closest to it in many respects, right? I mean, we do we do hear the problems straight. Right up, up. <laughs> right up. A lot of our customers are not shy, which is good. I'd rather know about a problem than be blindsided by the next time you happen to see them. And given that perspective, I mean, have you been generally satisfied by the degree of innovation or the and what you've what you see come to the market, or are there frustrations there too with the pace or the variety, or what's your take on that? Well, there's always going to be a frustration with the pace. But the technology and innovation are, are very unique. I mean, nobody does the optical measurements like we do. Um, and, and I really wish we would we would seek some type of approval or something to differentiate our turbidity because it is not the same instrument that others are using. Um, the, the fact that we do not have to compensate for light attenuation uh, makes our unit a different instrument than the others. And... Uh, we should really speak more about that and promote that more often. And when you do, does the customer understand that distinction? Is there an education piece there, or are they there's a little savvy? bit of education mm-hmm. piece? But a lot of the people are using the Hawk approved method in the lab, and when you talk about that technology and how they're correcting for the light attenuation, we're doing it the exact same way that the EPA approved method has, and that typically will catch their attention because it is true. We are compensating for light attenuation where others are not compensating for light attenuation. And uh, I can guarantee you that the results of people using conventional turbidity sensors on lakes profiling, there's a lot of error in uncompensated turbidity measurements. Turbidity measurements that hit a thermocline that did not wait for equilibration because it they weren't really noticing or, or what have you. Um, but you hit thermoclines with other turbidity probes and you've got a pretty good weight on your hand for the turbidity response. And we do not have that problem. How are advancements in remote monitoring going to change things? My first river monitoring system for an industry was 80s. And they were analog instruments in a shelter about half the size of this room with marine batteries out the wazoo and large solar panels. And I was so enamored when I first picked up my first multiprobe and held this little RS-232 transmitter in my hand. And, uh, you know, I guess the first telemetry with, with the multiprobe was, was with Alabama Power and their Southern Company. They had a, a Southern Company on Southern Link, uh, which was the cellular coverage for the area. And we took that multiprobe and fed an RS-232 through the modem back to a dot matrix printer in their lab. And so every 15 minutes, it would spit out the DO and the temperature on the lake. I thought that was pretty cool. Every generation, it gets smaller and a little bit easier and a little bit uh, a little bit simpler to put out in the field. Do you see more sites running telemetry in the future? 
And and if it's so, unavoidable. I mean, if management really truly focuses on the cost to run data, the cost to send that individual out there, the liability for that fellow to be in the field, um, it, it's it's tremendous. And and the cost of, of running the road is not inexpensive. It's not free. And having a price point where we have it, it's unavoidable. They're, they're crazy not to consider it. I mean, we can do a real-time telemetry unit with three years of data for less expensive than a logging sawn. So what do you think that means for the average field tech over the course of the next 10 or 20 years? Well, field trips can become more proactive uh, versus just going out to collect the data and do a calibration. So he can, he can look at his data and, and assess drift and then maybe he can go at six weeks and not four weeks. And for every every time he extends that two weeks, that's you know that's a lot of money in savings and operational costs. I gave you a case in point. We did the Hoover uh, project in in Alabama uh, back in 2012. Maybe it was back in 2009. It's been a while, uh, but that was a project where they were having to do wastewater samples. And so they would, every time it rained, they had to send someone out to grab the sampling, grab samples every time it rained to uh, uh, comply with their stormwater permit. Well, the cost of that was was it, it, quite extreme. So what they did was they opted to do a real-time monitoring system where they're reporting real-time data. They submitted to the state to get their permit change. And EPA actually accepted the permit change from sampling to continuous monitoring. And the cost of the continuous monitoring, I want to say was like $100,000 a year for the sampling. And the cost of the telemetry was like, I don't know, $80,000. They literally paid for the equipment in the first year of sampling. And every year since then, they've not had to do the sampling just because it rained. And so now they've been able to focus on events. I mean, we were putting the system in and the, they were building a, a, a concrete plant across the street for the, for the interstate that was being built through the area. And I said, what are they building over there? He said, oh, that's a temporary concrete plant. I said, oh, swell. All right, well, I'm going to set you an alarm for pH and turbidity and we'll see how long it takes. And literally the very next Thursday, the city of Hoover, got a text message and the guy said he drove up into the parking lot of, of the place within 30 minutes of getting that text alarm. And said so the guy that came out, you know, eyeball saucers for his eyes and said, what, can I help you? He says, yeah, did you just start discharging? He says, how do you know that? He pointed to the box across the street and he says, the pH of four and turbidity just shot up to three, 400. Um, actually it was a pH of 12. It was the opposite of that. Um, but literally, they deconstructed that concrete plant the very next week and moved it south of Hoover. It was a, literally a not-in-my-watershed moment. And um, the, the continuous sampling um, has generated so much more useful information on, on events that have happened versus just taking a sample when it rains that may or may not catch anything. You guys have been around now and stayed in the industry and been successful uh, much longer 
than most other uh, representative firms and, and, and groups that work with manufacturers. What is it you think that you all have done differently that's really driven you towards that success? Well, we have a, a, a good team of folks, um, you know, Trey, Russell, uh, myself, we're, we're the managing, Trey, Park, Trey Campbell, Russell Park, myself are the managing partners. I think the big thing that we did was was focusing on watershed and not so much more product lines, but being uh, better at what we do with the few product lines that we have. And so applying water quality probe and, and so many different applications or instruments and in so many different applications, we could be in a pulp and paper mill one day, a mayonnaise plant the next, sewer plant, the USDA, um, all with slightly different unique measurement needs um, and challenges that, that kind of helps us build our experience. Yeah. And not that we're writing the end of your story yet at all, <laughs> but as you, as you look back on the time that you've spent in the industry, what is the thing that you're the most proud of doing? You know, when we, when we, we have, become the leader in the multi-probe space more than once. Um, we started out as the leader with the only manufacturer, and then we went to another manufacturer and made them number one pretty quick. And and I have that same goal with you guys. <laughs> and and that, you know, I'm proud of where what we've done this year. And, and even with COVID the last few years and the way we've been able to grow our multi-probe sales. I mean, we've got... Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, state agencies, and all the USGS offices buying our equipment, and other agencies as well. So it's it's been pretty pretty good um, growth for us. I'm proud of the 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 Aquatrol platform. I mean that we did collaborate on that. There were some ideas that we we input on that. I'm very proud of that. Uh, <laughs> I did all the proof of claims testing for the National Weather Service project we did where we developed a rain gauge that's deployed at every airport in the country, um, some 550 rain gauges. So our little company in South Mississippi who never sees snow <laughs> is the actual developer of the gauge that measures all weather precipitation in the United States. And I didn't have to live in the snow. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Are they still using those weather stations? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Airports? Every airport, um, and I and, and I crane every time I land at an airport. I'm the weird dude at the window, craning my neck everywhere, which way, trying to see a damn rain gauge. I've never seen one in all the years of flying. What do you see as you look forward, though? You know, and just in terms of potential challenges. I mean, obviously, we had the last year throw a, a curveball to everybody. Um, you know, but for your business, your business model, what what are your prospects and challenges as you as you look ahead? Well, the big challenge is not being able to get face to face with a customer. Mm -hmm. Kind of hard to engage and solve a problem if you're not able to get in and do that. Um, you know, the USGS is still shut down. Their their offices are still closed, but the but the core is not. So we, we've several projects working with the core, and we've got projects working with the USGS, but it's not quite the same as being able to go and engage and and see them face to face, bring in a view link and show it to them. So that's that's our biggest challenge is is trying to fill our our sales pipeline. 
and longer term? I'd like to see us do more sensor development in the optical front. Uh, we've got this crude oil sensor coming. That's a very narrow market. I'd like to see us work on a hydrocarbon sensor that can do phenols and some of the other uh, compounds that you might find in, in industrial settings where people are looking for for leak detection on, on different compounds than crude oil, uh, refined oils, I, I guess is what that would be. So I'd like to see us do some development in that area. Malcolm, as you've been able to be involved with so many different groups, working on so many different kinds of projects, do you have any feel for how the users have changed? Well, the use of the users is certainly beneficial to our product line. Um, everyone is is very in tune nowadays with the apps and, and being able to do things um, the way we're doing it, basically, we're kind of ahead of the curve. Uh, so I think that's the 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 younger generation coming in. Uh, they're all very highly active in the social media front. They're very aware of technology where we weren't so much in, involved with that back when we were coming in. Are people coming into the industry? Are young people interested in coming into the work? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um uh, seems to be a lot of people retiring in the USGS, so I, I think there's going to be more people coming in there. Uh, the Corps of Engineers, uh, they every other year they go from contracting it out to hiring people in house, so they're always in a, in a state of turmoil on who they're who's doing their work. Um, they're now they're doing a lot of it themselves and not contracting out so much, so. Um, that's a good account for us to, to really work with now. We do a lot of work with the U- with the universities and uh, many of the, the kids that work in the universities, if they're using our stuff and they come out and, and have gotten orders from several customers out of Mississippi State, uh, Auburn, uh, LSU, where they went out and worked at an at engineering firm or an industry and called us when they needed needed stuff um so it's it's important it's always been that that segment the research area the universities and and, you know your usda's usgs the core we've always considered them to be research oriented Uh, so that's always been a very good market for us and what about for cc lynch are you able to find the the talent and the folks you need to Stay strong. We are. We've got a. Uh, we've got eighteen people with us. We've got two guys in Alabama. Um, we don't have a lot of turnover. Uh, so, Chris Simon, he's been running our service department now for several years. He's been with us. I don't know, twenty five years, twenty twenty five years. We actually got him from uh, uh, Louisiana DNR uh, Crims uh, back when we were actually running songs for, for DNR. Uh, he was working with them and came to work with us. We've generally found people from the marketplace um, in Alabama. We were looking for someone, Alabama Power, who is a very good customer of ours. They called and says, you cannot hire anyone until you interview Luke. It was a, a, someone they had that was a contract and they couldn't get him on full time. And yeah. His contract was coming up. And he was a great technician for him and 
So we basically went up there and, and took that advice and hired him. He's been with us now probably eight years. That must um, be good for customer relationships. Those people that have been with you for a long time and really have real relationships with your customers, right? Right. Right. Kind of makes a difference, especially, you know, where you guys are versus where, you know, my Louisiana guys, you can't speak the language. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's very true. Well, Malcolm, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and share your experience and terrific stories. You know, it's great to get your perspective and um, really just fun to have the opportunity to chat with you as a valued partner and somebody that we've known and worked with for a long time. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. This is Aquapod brought to you by In-Situ. Please subscribe to Aquapod wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on insitu.com. That's in hyphen situ.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This episode was produced by Helen Taylor, Eric Robinson, and Lauren Ryan with a big assist from Josiah Homeland and Versa Studio in beautiful Colorado. We look forward to bringing you more water monitoring stories from the field. And until then, take care out there.